Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. Anybody else in the room identify with that? I love Christmas. And when I say I love Christmas, I mean I love everything about Christmas. I just like it all. I like everything about the way we celebrate Christmas. I love decorating the tree. Uh, we did that just last weekend in our home. We went and got our new tree, and every year we've started a couple of years ago buying the art of, or the uh, the real Christmas tree. We'd always had artificial trees, and we decided we'd start buying the. So you get the whole "I'm going to go looking for my tree" experience. Then you get to decorate the tree and started wrapping all the presents and doing all the food and the parties and the movies, the Christmas movies. Hey, everybody on the count of three, shout out your favorite Christmas movie. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, I heard them all. There you go. I love all those. I totally agree with all of you. I love watching all the movies, going to the parties, the music. There's just all this about Christmas that is so much fun. But there is one practice that we in America use to celebrate Christmas that is really one of the defining marks of how we celebrate in America. And it is the exchanging of gifts. Anybody been doing any shopping lately, right? We do a lot of exchanging of gifts at Christmas, and I love that part of it too. I think on Christmas morning, I'm as excited as anybody in our house about exchanging gifts. I love that. Let me give you some statistics about the impact or the significance of this practice in our culture. Here's one. It was produced by the National Retail Federation from 2015, last year's Christmas season. During Christmas... People will spend six times more money on gifts than on food. Wow. Let me give you another one. This one's even more astonishing to me. The U.S. retail sales during the Christmas season, which last year was $632 billion, will be more than the GDP of 181 countries. Now, if you don't know what GDP is, GDP is the monetary value of all the goods and services produced in a country in a 12-month period of time. So we're going to spend more during the Christmas season than 181 countries in the world will produce in all their goods and services over an entire 12-month period. So I think this writer got it correct. I was reading some articles about Christmas, and I came across this article by Lauren Martin in El Decor magazine. Now, I've never read that before, but uh, so if you read that and there's something bad in there, I'm not endorsing it. I don't know anything about it, but here's her article. Listen to what she said. Whether you are breaking the bank or gifting something more, she read the word homemade, scratched it out, and put sentimental. There's no denying that giving is a big part of the holiday season. If you agree with that, say amen. 
It's a big part of how we celebrate Christmas in our culture. Now, I understand that some Christians get offended by this spirit of gift-giving at Christmas. I don't really like those people, but I'm kidding, kind of. I love them. I just probably choose not to hang out with them very much. But I understand some people get get offended by this spirit of gift-giving at Christmas, and they imply that all we do with this exchanging of gifts is taking away from the real meaning of Christmas. And I understand that out of balance, that is absolutely true. If we let this thing of giving and exchanging gifts become the dominant theme of our celebration, it can totally drain away from the real meaning of Christmas. But I want you to understand something. The heartbeat of the Christmas message is one of giving. If we understand this and we celebrate the exchanging of gifts in light of this and we use it as an opportunity to talk about it, the reality is that the the dominant theme of the message of Christmas is one of the greatest acts of generosity ever unleashed on planet earth. Let me show it to you. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God so loved the world, a great love, the greatest love, God's love for us manifested itself in the greatest gift that has ever been given on planet earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what Christmas is really all about. Christmas is about God sending his son into this world, born of a virgin. God became a man, Emmanuel, God with us. And God came into the world Not to set just an example for us. God didn't just come into the world to show us a better way to live. God came into the world and took on humanity and lived a sinless life to perfectly fulfill the law of God. In order to be qualified as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins, Christ came into the world fully or perfectly fulfilled the law of God, and then he offered his body on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, atoning for our sin against God. But Jesus, on that first Sunday morning, didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had now accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And now what the Scripture says is that if you and I will believe, it means to put our faith in him, to turn from our sin and embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can be born again and have what the Bible calls eternal life. That's what Christmas is really all about. It's about God giving us that which we did not deserve nor could ever earn. You know, if you've got unbelieving friends and family members, you know something you can do this Christmas? You can give them a gift. And when you give them a gift, you know what you can tell them? Hey, you know what this gift's really a symbol of? 
It's a symbol of the greatest gift ever given. Now this in no, it's going to pale in comparison to what I'm about to tell you. But let me tell you about the greatest gift ever given. And we can take what our culture is using to celebrate Christmas, and we can turn that into an opportunity to share the gospel with others. But the reality is you cannot separate giving and generosity from the message of Jesus Christ and following him. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, the very first time the word Christian is ever used, the first time anybody is ever called a Christian, it's referring to a group of people who are living out radical generosity and giving. Let me show it to you. Take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, I want to begin reading in verse 25. Acts 11, verse 25. Here's what it says. And he, talking about Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. At this point in the biblical narrative, Saul had become a believer. He'd become a follower of Jesus. But many were still afraid of him because he had been a great persecutor of the church. And so he was now in Tarsus, afraid, hiding from many who were now very skeptical and fearful of him. But Barnabas, the encourager, he went looking for Saul. And look what it says, verse 26. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch is a church that was planted. You can read about it on your own, but if you read back earlier in chapter 11, this church had just started about a year or two earlier here in Antioch. Some people had come from Jerusalem, and they had planted this church here in Antioch. You can read the story. This multicultural band of individuals came to Antioch and planted what is arguably the the greatest church in the New Testament. All of Paul's missionary journeys happened being sent out of the church at Antioch. So it says, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year... They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Look what it says next. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. How many of you would say, I'm a Christian? Let me see your hand. Hold it up for a second. That's what I thought. Most of you this morning, you put them down. I'm a Christian. It's a term we wear with honor. I'm a Christian. But when it was first used, notice what it says. It didn't say they first called themselves Christians. They were first called Christians. The word Christian was originally a term that was used in in a derogatory way. They were referring to this group of people that were so radically following Jesus, the term Christian literally meant that's those Jesus people. Their lives so reflected the character and the witness and the life of Jesus that the community, they didn't say about themselves, we are Christian. The community said about them, that's those Jesus people. It literally meant that's those people who belong to Jesus. Now, as you read on, we're going to pick up in verse 27 you're going to see one of the the practices that these people lived out 
that so reflected the life of Jesus. Look at verse 27. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. These people so lived out the testimony and life of Jesus that others said about them, that's those Jesus people, and one of the defining marks of their life was this principle of generosity. Every year at Hope, on this Sunday, we present to you, and we'll do it at the end of our service today. You were given a a, a copy of it, an abbreviated copy as you came in this morning. But every year at Hope, we present to you as a church an annual ministry expense budget. It's a plan that we've put together financially to carry out what we believe as a church based on our staff team, our volunteer leaders, our stewardship team have spent the last several months praying and putting this together. It's a plan that we believe financially allows us to carry out for the next 12 months the mission that God has called us to as a church. But let me give you a general principle as we think about that. Here's the general principle. God provides for His people through His people. I want you to read that out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. God provides for His people through His people. You see, giving and generosity is more than just a holiday tradition for us as followers of Jesus. Giving and generosity is a way of life as followers of Jesus. And these believers here in the New Testament were living this out. And so as we present to you at the end of the service today our ministry expense plan for the next 12 months, I want to extract some principles about this, from, about this principle of generosity and giving from the lives of these early Christians that I think will impact all of us and kind of give us a, a calibration in the midst of this season where we're all thinking about giving gifts. So here are the four realities. Here's the first one. Everyone gave. Now that may sound simple, but in the context of the church in America, everyone gave is radical. Look back. I want you to focus on verse 29. We're going to spend a lot of time here in verse 29. It says here, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them. That little phrase, each of them, literally could be translated, every one of them separately. The root word is the root word separate. It's describing them not as a group, hey, they gave. It's describing them individually, each and every one of them gave. Here Paul, is, or the Bible's describing this relationship between Saul or who becomes Paul and Barnabas and this church at Antioch. And the Bible, first of all, tells us about them that every single one of them 
gave. Can you imagine what an impact the church in America could have today if that were true? What if everybody gave? You see, the practice of giving is not relegated to the leadership. The practice of giving is not simply for those who are mature in their faith. As a matter of fact, almost every believer in Antioch had been saved for less than two years. This whole church was all new Christians. Many of them had been saved in the last few months. And yet, every single one of them were givers. It's a magazine called Share Faith Magazine. They produce an article about Christians and giving. Listen to this stat out of the article. It's alarming that Christians now... This was written this year. Christians now give less per capita than during the Great Depression. At best, 25% of those in an average congregation give. And only between 3 and 5% give at least 10%. Think about that. As a church in America, we give less now per person than we did during the Great Depression. And in an average church, what their research has discovered is only about 25% of the people in any church give anything at all. And it's somewhere between 3 and 5% of the population of a church that gives at least 10% of their income. How far have we drifted from everyone gave? Think about what we said earlier. God provides for His people through His people. Everyone in this room, everyone in every church in America is a recipient of God's provision. We've received the gospel as a recipient of the provision of God. Here's the question of the morning. Not am I a recipient, am I a a participant in God's provision? God provides for His people through His people. Not am I a recipient, but am I a participant in joining in the provision of God? The New Testament principle, everyone gave. Let me give you a second statement. Everyone gave from the heart. Look back at verse 29. Look what it says. And in the the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution. The word determined here is a word that means to decide or to settle something conclusively. Here's what this word implies. It implies an internal investigation before there's an outward response. Meaning this, giving doesn't begin in my pocket. Giving begins in my heart. There's a determination in my heart that God provides for his people through his people. So I make a determination in my heart that I want to not just be a recipient. I want to be a participant in God's provision. And then what flows out of that is the practice or principle of generosity. Giving's about the heart, not about the pocket. And that's why so many people get uncomfortable and get frustrated when you even talk about the principle of generosity and giving. 
Not because it's revealing something about their pocket, because it's really revealing something about their heart. Let me prove to you that giving is really a heart issue and not a pocket issue. Let me prove it to you. I want to give you some statements. Here's the first one. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our money. Let me show it to you. Psalm chapter 50. The Bible says, For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Listen to what he says. For the world is, said out loud, and all it contains. He describes the world, the universe, the cosmos like it's this box. And he said the box and everything in it, the entire universe and everything it contains. God says it's all mine. The reality is God owns everything. We own nothing. It's all his. It belongs to him. God doesn't need. Listen, God is never sitting in heaven wringing his hands going, oh, man, I hope they give today. You see, God owns it all. Here's what that means. Everything that I think belongs to me really belongs to him. The heart of God is not fear of whether or not we're going to give or not. He's just wanting to see what you and I are going to do with his stuff. Now, I know where some of us begin to think when we talk about this, and the question becomes then, if God doesn't need my money, then why do I need to give, right? Well, let me give you the second statement. Giving is God's invitation to join in his activity. You see, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our resources. He wants us. He wants us to enjoy being involved in what he's doing. And so he invites us by his grace to participate. He invites us to be involved. The church at Antioch saw an opportunity where there was a crisis. They saw an opportunity where God was going to be at work in the city of Jerusalem. And they saw that as an invitation from God to join in what he was doing. And so they determined in their heart, we want to be a part of what God's doing. So they gave. It's another example in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It's a letter written by Paul to a church that lived this principle out. Paul had planted this church 10 years earlier. I want you to read Paul's writing to them. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. Listen to what he said. Paul said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is writing to them, and here's what he says. He says, man, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. Why? Because you are participating in the gospel. This is the Greek word that we often translate fellowship. It means to share in, to join in the life of somebody else. Paul said, man, every time I think about this church, I thank God for these people because they are joining in the ministry of the gospel, what God is doing through my life. Well, how were they doing that? We'll look to the end of the letter, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me. It's the same word shared. There's the word for participation in chapter 1. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my need. Here's what, here's what Paul's writing them to say. Paul says, man, I thank God for you. You saw in my life God's mission being accomplished, and you saw it as an opportunity to join in what God was doing, and you accepted God's invitation joyfully and with great passion. And he says, you shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. And as he goes on to read or to write in this text, he talks about how they did this over and over and over again, and they did it in a sacrificial way. This church was joining in God's activity through the vehicle of generosity. So God doesn't need my money. Giving is God's invitation to join in His activity. So then here's the third statement. Giving reflects our heart towards God and His work in the world. You know what giving really is? When I look at how I give and the way that I give, Giving is a reflection of my heart towards God, who owns it all, and towards His activity in the world in accomplishing His mission. He didn't need me, but He invites me to be a part of it through the vehicle of generosity. And as I give, I'm joining in what He's doing. That's why Paul, in another place, wrote this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Look what he says. Each one, it's that same idea, every one of us must do just as he's purposed in his heart. Talking about giving. He says it starts in the heart. We shouldn't. He says, don't do this grudgingly or under compulsion. Why? For Read it out loud. God loves a... Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say there that God loves givers. Some people think we can move God or impress God by our giving. It's not the act of giving that pleases the Lord. It's the heart with which we give. He says God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the reality. There are three types of givers according to this verse of Scripture. First of all, there are what are called sad givers. Say this word out loud. Grudgingly. You know what it means in the Greek language? It literally means out of grief. Some people give, but they give sad (laughs) because they think of all the other things I could do with this money. Paul says, don't give like that. There are mad givers. Say this out loud. Under compulsion. It's a Greek phrase that literally means out of obligation by compelling force. This phrase is the opposite in the Greek language of willingly. It's their feeling forced to. I brought something from my house this morning I wanted you to see because this is the way a lot of people give. This is my actual tube of toothpaste. Now, I don't know how toothpaste works at your house, but my wife has trained me well. My wife has trained me until you get every last drop. I'll say, babe, I need some new toothpaste. You'll say, no, you don't. Until you get, I mean, you can see how flat it is, right? This is literally, I brought this out of the drawer this morning. This is my tube of toothpaste. There's still some in here. I got to take it back home when this is over.
You know how you got to get, you know what I have to do every morning to get toothpaste out of this? I got to work it, man. You got to put your back into this, right? It's in there, but bless God, I got to get it out. You know what that is? That's the way a lot of us are with God's resources. We got it, but we feel like we're getting squeezed to get it out. Paul says, don't give like that. Sad givers, mad givers, but then there's, you know where we're going here, right? Glad givers. Say this word. It means one who gives gladly. Out of a sense of joy. Happiness, cheerfulness, gladness. Stephen Olford translates it this way. A spirit of real enjoyment that sweeps away all human restraint. Think about that. Is that how you give? I just enjoy it. Time for the offering. Woohoo! <laughs> A sense of real enjoyment. What am I enjoying? Who God is and what He's doing. And the reality that by His grace, He's invited me to be a part of that. Paul is here describing a believer who is so full of joy over the grace of God in his own life that he joyfully and generously gives so that others may experience God in the same way in their lives. For God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the point. God finds joy in me, when I find joy in Him through giving. Get that. God finds joy in me. He loves a cheerful. God finds joy in me when I find joy in Him through living generously. Listen. We believe this so strongly in our church. I want to say something to you that I say periodically here in our church. But, but you may never hear another pastor say what I'm about to say. So I want you to listen carefully. If you give at hope for any reason other than joyful enjoyment of getting in on what God is doing, please don't give. Not, not means don't do it. Don't do it grudgingly. Not, don't do it under compulsion, out of a sense of duty or obligation. God loves a cheerful giver. Everyone gave in this passage of Scripture, but everyone gave from the heart. 
Now, the question we got to wrestle with is, is if I can't give like this, what's going on with me that I can't? Here's the third statement. Everyone gave according to their ability. According to their ability. Look back at verse 29 again. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution. It's a powerful phrase. We won't take a lot of time to unpack it, but it simply means this. It's implying giving out of what has been given to you. According to what their means was, according to what they'd received, each one of them out of that gave. Here's the general principle. We've given you this before here at Hope. General principle. God's people have always regularly given a portion of what God has given to them. That's what the Bible's teaching here. These people, every one of them, out of their heart, in response to what they'd seen God do in their life and what he was doing in the world, they all said, hey, we want to be a part of that. And out of what God had given to them, they gave a portion. It's this idea of always giving a portion. Now, some people hear that and they immediately shout, law! That's the Old Testament law! Well, when they do that, they're just speaking out of their own ignorance, all right? Because that's not what that is. This idea of giving a portion actually started 400 years before the law was given through Moses. Abraham, in the book of Genesis, gave a portion out of that which had been given to him 400 years before the law. Abraham's sons, Isaac and Jacob, they continued this idea of giving a portion Hundreds of years before the law. When the law came through Moses, the law included the idea of giving a portion. Let me show it to you. Deuteronomy 16, verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. What is that principle? It's the principle out of that which God has given to you, you joyfully give back to the Lord as an investment in what he's doing. It was before the law. It was included in the law. And then after the law, here we are in the book of Acts, the New Testament church, not living under the law, and yet we find them giving a portion of what God had given to them. Here's the point. Throughout the history of man's relationship with God, people have given to the Lord out of what the Lord has given to them. You see, giving a portion is not a requirement of the law. It's a privilege of the relationship. You and I have the privilege of joining in what God is doing through the vehicle of generosity. And someone may ask, well, where do I, where do I start? If I want to give to the Lord a portion of what He's given to me, where's the beginning place for me? Well, that's a question that you have to get with the Lord and answer in your own personal walk with Him. You need to hear God speak in your own life because one of the Bible terms used for the principle of giving is something called the tithe that refers to 10%. It's what Abraham did in the book of Genesis. It's what God's people included into the law, and then it's what many of God's people continued after the law. As a matter of fact, the principle of the tithe, it's the only place in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus actually commended the Pharisees for doing something right. But I love what Randy Alcorn said. Randy Alcorn said, every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. 
So here's my personal conviction as a starting place for all of us when it comes to this God provides for his people through his people. My personal conviction. You got to establish yours, okay? You got to get with the Lord, study the scriptures, read his word. You got to establish yours. My personal conviction when Christy and I got married, we used the tithe 10% of every bit of income that God gave us, every bit of provision that God provided for us. We set that as a beginning point for us. That 10%, we just set that aside and said that belongs to the Lord. We've been married now for almost 25 years, and in 25 years of giving and living out this principle of generosity, we're way past that now in our practice of giving. But it was a starting place for us. you got to establish for you and your family, what's the starting place for you? The principle is everyone gave from the heart out of what God had given to them. Here's the final statement, and I'll be done. Everyone gave as an act of service. Again, look at verse 29. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. The word relief is a word that's literally translated in many places in the New Testament with the word service. These people gave to serve others. They were joining in what God was doing and ministering to and serving to others. That's why they gave. They saw their giving not as giving to the church, but as giving through the church in service to other people. You hear me say that all the time here in our fellowship. Where does it come from? Right here in Acts chapter 11. This group of people saw their giving not as giving to the church, but as giving through the church. When you give at hope, my prayer is that you understand you're not giving to hope, but through hope to serve others and expand the kingdom of God. I'll give you some examples of that and we're going to be done. We have a staff team here in our church. Our staff team now has a lot of people on it. God's blessed us with a wonderful staff team. Did you know that that staff team on an annual basis is meeting with thousands of people, ministering to thousands of people during the week, in between Sundays, meeting with people, connecting with people, discipling people, planning and organizing ministries, putting ministry plans together. All of that happens. You know how it happens? Because you provide for them through your generosity in a way that enables them and frees them up to be able to serve thousands of people here in the city of Las Vegas. Another example is our Life Center here in our church. Our Life Center is a ministry that ministers to hundreds of families and individuals every year that are hurting and experiencing difficulties and challenges. Hundreds of people come through that ministry dealing with things like grief, addiction, marriage problems, depression, struggles, financials, debt, all that stuff. And our Life Center comes alongside them to help them find places of healing and hope and health so that they can move forward in their relationship with Jesus and be healthy as individuals and members of our community and their families. How does that happen? Because you give in service to others. Last weekend in Oceanside, California, last weekend in Oceanside, Parkside Church in Oceanside, California, had its first public worship service. They launched as a brand new church plant there in Oceanside. It was our 35th 
fifth church plant out of our church. Now there are a few hundred people that are gathering there in Oceanside. They're being discipled. They're penetrating that community with the gospel. How does that happen? It happens because you gave, not to a church, but through a church. This coming Sunday, a brand new church is going to be launching to reach Iranian peoples in Los Angeles, California. How does that happen? It happens because you give. This January, Brian Hook and his wife Jessica and their family are relocating off of our staff team to move to Tucson, Arizona, where I was this Tuesday and Wednesday and saw the lostness of this city where you can drive around all day long and not pass a church. And there's so many people and over a million people in need of the gospel. We're planting a new church there. And how does that happen? Because you give in service to others. Locally. There are seven ministry partners here in Las Vegas. Ministries that are not connected to our church necessarily, but they're serving in different ways here in areas of homelessness or uh, women's care or other things. They're they're ministering, meeting people's needs in the city and and providing for them services. How does that happen? Because seven of those ministry partners we we invest in every month, and you're a part of that as you give. Globally, there are 14 different ministry partners on five different continents. Today, there is ministry happening on five continents continents around the world that's being supported through your giving as an act of service. Everyone gave. Everyone gave from the heart. Everyone gave out of that which God had given to them. And then everyone gave as an act of service, understanding that it wasn't to a church, it was through a church, investing in something so much bigger. So in the spirit of Christmas, thinking about giving, there's a biblical perspective about how you and I are to live that out, not just during the holidays, but 365 days a year as we allow Jesus in us to live through us and express this radical generosity. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you this morning to, in the stillness of this moment, just begin to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who are here today at Hope, God, who already lived this principle out. God, I pray for them today that you would encourage them to keep on keeping on. God, I pray for those of us that are already living this out. God, if today you would desire to see us go deeper, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, I pray for my wife and I that you'd speak to us. Lord, about ways we can grow and continue to expand in this area of our lives and living generously. God, I pray you'd continue to use this fellowship to touch the nations for your glory and honor. Lord, I pray for those this morning that aren't practicing this principle. God, that they would hear this message as a challenge. And Lord, they would get alone with you and let you establish with them a starting place where they can get their feet in the water and begin to live generously. And God, I thank you for all the ways you're going to bless them and grow them and meet needs for them in ways that increases their faith as they begin this journey. God, I pray for those today that are practicing this principle, but they're not doing it with the right heart. 
Lord, would you lead them into a spirit of joy as they give? And then, Father, today I pray for those that don't know you. That today, God, they would hear the gospel and be drawn to Christ. just a moment our worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship a response to the Lord and maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus this gospel that I talked about early on in the service that said God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son if you don't know Jesus today when we stand to sing in just a moment we're going to have some pastors here at the front you can come to one of these pastors and simply say to them I need Jesus and we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God for others of you today our pastors are going to be here maybe there's a burden on your heart your job, your health, your family your relationship, your finances You just want one of these pastors to pray for you, to pray with you. We'd be honored to do that. Maybe for others of you, you just need to come be alone with God. We're going to take these steps up here at the front and turn them into like an old-fashioned altar. You can just come and just kneel here and just talk to God about whatever's on your heart. This is not a moment to slip out early. This is a moment for us as God's people to reflect on what we've heard God say through His Word, to let the Spirit of God deal with our own hearts and respond to Him in worship together. Father, use this for Your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.